We're going to go ahead and get started. A lot of you guys came back. That's pretty impressive. Hopefully we got something to do tonight here. Let's see. It's been all afternoon charging my iPad to see if I can get the things I need off of it. So I'll preach until it goes dead and then we'll all go home. So, <clears throat> And I see my family in true Baptist fashion has moved back three rows and we're almost into the, the true Baptist back row. That's good. Well, you guys are still up here. So, all right. <clears throat> Enough chatter, we'll get this going. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll just, we'll see where we're going tonight, okay? Dear God, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the handfuls of people that came back out tonight, Lord, uh, that just pray that whatever I have here to uh, prepare for them to hear, Lord, that uh, it would be meaningful to them, and uh, that they they could use uh, the the encouragement and the challenge and the charge that uh, the Word of God brings tonight, uh, and and, uh, have a meaningful steps in their path uh, as they go throughout their their lives here, Lord. Uh, I pray you bless the, the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Sorry. Spent all afternoon scarfing down Cassano's also. Almost a Cassano's coma. We, we were so addicted to Cassano's that last time I was in, in town, we, we got a couple large pizzas and ate them on the way home to Toledo while we were driving, so... That might happen today, too. I'm not sure. But <laughs> love me some Casanos. All right. Well, continuing the, uh, the process that we began this morning, if, if we and you have the desire to be a better man and to be a good man, uh, one who wants to be used by God regardless of life circumstance, uh, then there is a question that needs to be posed, <clears throat> one that needs to be answered, and we'll do that here tonight. The question is, if... God can still use me. What is it that he wants me to be doing? And so, with the, in light of the uh, events that had happened at our, at our business that I mentioned this morning, maybe just in Sunday school, we had a gentleman who had uh, <clears throat> worked for us that had taken his life. Um, he, had, he had left our company about five months ago, but a couple Sundays ago, we found out that he took his life. He's only 30 years old, very successful um, sales manager. <clears throat> and uh, in light of that happening, I've been able to go through <clears throat> our company departmentally and uh, let people know that I care about them, that I love them, and that it's not okay to feel alone and to feel depressed to the point where you want to check out. And uh, it's allowed me some great opportunities to <clears throat> preach the gospel to these people. <clears throat> and uh, one instance, there was two ladies down in the front office, and uh, I was talking with them just about the the happenings of what, what was going down and how I felt about it and what I could be encouraged of, uh, you know, from that circumstance. And uh, I got an email two days later from her and from one of the girls, and <clears throat> it had said, uh, hey, I haven't been able to sleep for two days. I've just been thinking about, like, everything you said. Like, I just can't. I can't stop thinking that I don't know what my purpose of life is. And I was like, well, isn't that something? I almost heard her write, like, what must I do to be saved? Like, I was like, this never happens. Um, But I was like, wow, I really want to talk to you about that. She's like, oh, no, 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 don't take any time out of work, just whenever you get a free chance. I was like, I could literally quit my job for this type of stuff. Like, this is, this is amazing. And so that, that was one of three occurrences that had happened over the last 
couple weeks. <clears throat> and so, if God can still use me, then what does he want me to be doing? And in light of that story, if, there, if there's no purpose for us, if we don't have a purpose, then why are we left here on the earth? We might be better off dead, actually. And once we get saved, what, what are we here for? If, if we don't have something to do, if there is no purpose. I propose that the Bible might have something to say about the matter. That purpose is to continue the work of the Lord. <clears throat> I thought somebody was looking at the screen. I do have a, a photo here. Not right now. Take it easy, fellas. It's a very special photo. You guys are going to like it. Uh, anyway, uh, the purpose is to continue the work of the Lord, <clears throat> which is doing the work that the Lord did while he was here 2,000 years ago, right? And that work, according to Luke 19.10, is to seek and to save that which is lost. And Christ summed it up for us in two separate statements, okay? The great, com- the, the great commandment and the great commission. <clears throat> Mark 12.28 says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So Christ sums it up, the great commandment, also the great commission, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so the summary of these two statements is basically this, to love God, to love people, and to save the world. In our church in, in Lambertville, Wildwood, this is like our, our church motto or saying or tagline or whatever. We have, you know, you guys have some things on the back wall. We have this, love God, love people, and save the world. And um, it's basically evangelism. Evangelism is the thing that we've been left here to do. It's the one thing we will not be able to do after we die and meet Christ. It's the one thing that Mark Trotter, though, was really good at it while he was here. He can't do that anymore. He's there. He's made it. He's finished his course. And Jesus outlines the blueprint for doing this as loving God and loving people and saving the world. And we talked a bit this morning about desiring, like David, to love God's word to the point that we concern all of our steps with how we can glorify God in each little one along the way. And some of us may just have to learn to fall in love with Christ again. We've allowed our relationships with him to be set on the back burner because we forgot that we have a purpose here now to do the work of the Lord. <clears throat> but we know that the, that the great commandment starts with prioritizing God as first, foremost, and fully involved in every one of our steps. But loving people? Oh, man. Have you guys met some of yourselves? You know... I mean, some of us aren't that lovable, right? Me, begin to, to, to say nonetheless, I'm not that lovable either. Ask my dad. Uh, um, 
My mom, she kind of likes me a little. <clears throat> Just kidding, guys. Um, but loving people isn't as easy as it sounds. But if God says this is, this, this is second only to loving him, then maybe we should double up on some of our efforts to love people the way that God asked us to love them, don't you think? But God knows that the way to reach people in order to share the gospel with them and to, and, and to see some of them become children of God is through what? It's through relationships. <clears throat> this is why after loving God with all of our being, we are to extend that level of love to our neighbors. And the Great Commission, or evangelism, requires us to build relationships with people and make friendships with them that allow us opportunities to share our faith with Christ or of Christ with them. Evangelism is the work that we're left here to do, thus making friends and sharing our faith and bringing people who put their trust in Christ into the fellowship is our mission. Okay? But there are some questions that people have in evangelizing this way in building relationships. You know, some of us think if we just talk about God at work for five seconds, like that's evangelizing. Some of us think that commenting on a Facebook post might just be the evangelism that I was meant for. I don't have to go out and meet anybody. Nobody gets to see who I am. I can just post whatever. <clears throat> that's not evangelism, by the way. But some questions that people have, how do I make friends? Maybe you can't make friends. <laughs> Maybe you're as unlovable as I am. Or how do I know when the right time is to share my faith? Why am I committing to this lifestyle of seeking the lost in order to bring them into the fellowship? Like, do I have to be consumed with, with seeking and saving the lost, doing the work of the Lord? Does it have to consume every minute of my life? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you a little story, a little tale about two Brandons. All right? The old Brandon and the new Brandon. <laughs> this is weird with my mom and dad here, by the way. I guess they can vouch for this. <clears throat> Don't listen to Ty, whatever he says, though. It is all lies coming out of that guy. I'm way better than what he ever says. And I've heard some of those messages that he preaches up here. Listen, I'm no tyrant. All right? Anyway. So this is a story of me and the difference of before and after I was involved with in fellowship of the local assembly. Before I was in the, the fellowship, old Brandon showed up to church. But only when I didn't feel sick. Or, you know, just too wore out. I remember a couple times I rolled over in bed and I'm like, Emily, I just don't feel like going to church. I'm like, uh, what's wrong? I don't know, something. Uh, my finger hurts. Uh, anything. I begrudgingly helped other brothers and sisters when activities were set up. Not much differently than, than the song Eleanor Rigby. I put on a face to fit the mold of Christian with his life put together in order to be left alone and not ask questions to. But I never grew, and I never got discipled, and I never fell in love with God's Word. I was stale and stagnant. Now, I was saved, but I was a Christian who Satan was pleased with because I was a do-nothing. Then my wife and I decided one time, at one moment that we were going to stop playing with this Christian life. And we didn't give up on it, Thank God for that. But we did decide to get plugged into the fellowship of our local church. And so then this new Brandon came about. And I started to be involved in the fellowship. And I started to be discipled for three years almost every Tuesday. 
met with a guy and, and got discipled. I started reading God's word. I started never missing an opportunity to gather together with the church. I actually started to enjoy being part of, of every event. Almost like if you looked at me, you'd be like, you need to calm down. You're doing too many things. And I was just, anybody felt like that around here? You might feel like, man, I do, I do a lot for the church. I really like it, but man, I'm, I'm always here. I'm always doing stuff. <clears throat> I began to grow and pray and teach in the children's ministry. I became a deacon for five years, and I ultimately committed to God to do some things that I thought I would never do. Some great things for God. The difference of a stale and stagnant me to a growing and usable for Christ me was a commitment to the fellowship with the body. But this old Brandon 10 years ago that was a Christian who was on spiritual life support now had become a functioning body part that was able to teach pastors in Malawi with Mark Trotter. I was able to teach the college class at our church, a a very motley crew, if I must say so, almost the likes of of these guys up front here or, or some of you that are interspersed. I can see you. I can smell you out, you college College kids. I, I was able to realize my responsibility as a Christian to the lost world, so much so that there was a certain conversation that, that my pastor, Brett Bartlett, had with me and my wife at a Mexican restaurant uh, last year, a little over a year ago. You guys can show the picture now if you haven't fell asleep back there. All right, there he is. There he is, Brett Bartlett in all his glory. Check him out. Looks like the Grinch. Little curly dimples. He's giddy like a schoolgirl. But he's so, he's so excited because, that's, because he's doing something that he absolutely loves doing. He's drawn out a plan for me and my wife and my kids to give our life to missions. And this plan involved us moving across bodies of water over to Europe soon, actually. Uh, the plan at that moment was like three years from then. Um, but with the intention of making friends and sharing our faith and bringing others into fellowship and ultimately then reproducing churches that reproduce other churches throughout Europe. <clears throat> and so because here's the reality. The church will literally stop growing without bringing new believers into the fellowship. The church will putter out without reproducing churches that reproduce reproducing churches. Or in this level, reproducing Christians that reproduce reproducing Christians. So how can we or you make sure that the body of Christ isn't putting on life support on your watch? Well, it's evangelism. It's being a fisher of, of men. Not just a fisher of men, but a fisher of fishermen. And don't miss this message tonight. I, I hope to remind some of you tonight of the thought and realization that you can win the lost right here in Sydney, Ohio by employing just a few strategies in your everyday life. Let's not forget that God has been doing the work in this age and in your town. He's been doing a work of preparing the field for his bride. A work that has an expectation of commitment from his bride. A work that if we keep looking at ourselves instead of looking toward God, we'll miss what our role is. A work that we only have the remainder of this short life on earth to finish. And who knows how short that life can actually be. There's a field white unto harvest, one 
of laborers in the field working. Are you laboring? If so, praise God. But if not, now is the time. We're in the fourth quarter. We're in the 11th hour. And some of you might think that evangelism is an unnecessary addition to your current lifestyle. Some of you may mock it. Some of you may brush it aside as if you're going to get to it another time in your life. That's not for me today. Some of you might say, I'm just doing, I'm doing evangelism just fine the way that I'm doing it on my own. I don't need any helps with this. How's it working out for you, by the way? You lone rangers that, that aren't involved in the, in the evangelism systems and activities that this church has set up. Well, I know how it worked at our church. You go out and do it on your own. And basically what you were doing, you just weren't doing it. <clears throat> Some of you might think that evangelism is an effort that you don't need to sleep well at night. I don't even think that that's something I need to do. But some of you might take seriously being allowed and being put in trust of the gospel. Meaning that you should not hide your light under a bushel, but meaning that you should let your light shine before men. Some of you may remember that if everyone approached evangelism with apathy, you may not have even been saved in the first place. So remember who shared the gospel with you. Who got saved right here in Sydney? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of people. That person that led you to the Lord, they took seriously the call to reach the lost, right in their own backyard, mind you. That person got up out of their comfort zone in order to see spirits quickened on a new life. That person went out into the world where they, where they could build relationships. They were ready to give an answer when asked life's deepest questions. That person made sure to point you to a place where you then could grow in your virtue and knowledge of the Lord. They pointed you to this church, possibly. Maybe you got saved through this church. But that person wasn't just catching a fish. Because you're here. It proves that they were catching fishermen. If you're saved and you're here on a Sunday night, is there even football going on right now? No. Basketball? The seasons are all messed up. Probably football again. It just ended. It started again. But there's things to do on a Sunday night. Like stay home and stay warm. And you all came out to hear me. I'm not even your pastor. That's proof enough for me that you, that you took serious the call to be a good man and to order your steps and to count every little one. And you're a fisherman. Because your salvation wasn't an end point. You know, God forbid if we think that our salvation is where we arrive to. And we've got our ticket punched and yay, we're in, we're done. Your salvation is actually a starting point. It didn't make you a Sunday school teacher to get saved. Your salvation didn't make you a discipler. It didn't make you a deacon or a pastor. Your salvation definitely didn't make you a missionary. No, you didn't get saved into an endgame position. You got saved into a life of work for the Lord. One of continuing His work. After salvation, after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's something that you need to start doing that you couldn't do before. And that's reproducing yourself. And so we are to make disciples. And to reproduce spiritual children and not be barren and unfruitful, we must abound in purposefully adding to our faith layer upon layer of godly attributes. Turn with me to Second Peter 1. 
And then go ahead and get Second uh, Timothy 2 also. 2 Peter 1 and 2 Timothy 2. So we need to purposefully add layers of godly attributes and not get them out of order. We need to keep these in order and and just like an onion, layer after layer after layer. So here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power hath given us unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, here it is, giving all diligence, not some, give all your diligence, add to your faith something, add to your faith virtue, and then add to your virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. So virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. And in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, "I, I I I can't make any fruit. I just can't seem to reproduce. I've got no Christians that I've... I have no people that I've brought to the Lord. Well, that is, that is a sad state to be in. But it isn't impossible. It isn't impossible for you to go share the gospel and see someone come to, to, to the saving power of, of Jesus Christ. And here we read in, in, in 2 Peter, If these things be in you and abound... And make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how you can bear fruit that remains. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue knowledge and on and on. And it goes on to say, verse 9, But he that lacketh, lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And this is how you fall asleep. He that lacks these things is blind, can't see, and even forgets that he was purged from his old sins altogether. Let us not forget to seek to add to our faith virtue. Virtue, doing what God says to do. And in 2 Timothy, we see that Paul is writing to encourage, remind, and to challenge Timothy not to forget that the Christian life is just the beginning at salvation. There is work to be done. Bringing new believers into the body of Christ requires work, and it requires fellowship in order to see fruit that remains. So let's turn to the main text of the evening. It took me a while to get to that. Well, so this is the main text. Here we go. You guys ready to start? <laughs> anyway. All right. So Second Timothy 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. I think it's uh, 1 through 7, but uh, we'll... we'll I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll start dissecting it. If you've got a pen and paper and notes, we'll, uh, I'll have seven points that we'll go through tonight on, uh, on this. And uh, so take notes at your leisure. I know that I didn't hand anything out. Probably should have made some sort of paperwork, but 
just write them on your neighbor's shirt or something. 2 Timothy 2.1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also, also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So, the prereq, the pre, the thing you need to know before, <laughs> uh, the prerequisite to this message tonight is that we take serious to call on each one of our lives to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the lost. You got to at least have that much down. Whether you're doing it or not, you you need to at least submit to that is our job to get going. The Great Commission. It wasn't the OK Commission. It was the Great Commission. If we are doing that work, the work of the Lord, then we can start reproducing reproducers by bringing them into fellowship of the believer. And why do we want to bring new believers into fellowship? Well, it isn't enough to do the hard part. Or, or you may even ask, is, is it enough to do the hard part of, you know, leading someone to the Lord? It seems like that's the difficulty. Oh, if I could just do that, that would be, everything else is roses and cherry pie. Well, that's the, actually the easy work, just so you know. Because you don't do anything for that. God does all that. The easy work is done, and now the real work begins. The church this church has a phenomenal discipleship program in place. And I, and I, I know that a lot of you have been through it. Um, one with amazing disciplers even. I mean, you got Jeff and Sue Blackford discipling people. Wow. No, you don't? Oh, you do. Yeah, I thought. Maybe, that's what they've been telling me. Listen, they've been telling me they were discipling people. Caught in a lie. I knew it. And your new believer needs to have a plug-and-play process, not a set-it-and-forget-it process. They need to be able to get to work. So let's start adding to our own faith the virtue, the virtue of obeying God's Word and what it tells us to be doing with fellowship. So here's the point number one. Be strong in grace. And this is, this is in our text. We'll, say, we'll stay in 2 Timothy. I'm going to quote a couple other verses just for reference throughout, but we can stay right here in 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in grace. Remember your testimony. It says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This same grace that you rely on is what the world is looking for, by the way. You know that the world is looking for answers in their life, and you have the answer. Remember your testimony. It's the most powerful part of your life. Because it isn't about your power. It's about... It's about your weakness, actually. You know, Jeffrey is going to be going on a, on a trip with his school, I think, uh, to West Virginia. We're just going to go to the beach, probably, and just hang out. It's ridiculous, but it's a missions trip. And I asked Jeffrey, do you know how to share the gospel? Could you, could you walk someone through, through their need of a Savior and how to get saved? Can you do that? He said, yeah, I can do that. Can you do that? 
Have you ever tried to do that? You ever tried? Have you ever had the opportunity that somebody says, what must I do to be saved? Or what is my purpose in life? And what do you do with that? Do you just Google something real quick and be like, how do you save somebody? And then you can say what it says on the screen. Or do you know it so well? The one tool, the one, the most powerful thing in your life, your testimony. Can you, can you even say your testimony? The thing that changed your eternity. Can you say that out in, in 30 minutes? Do you have a five-minute version of that? A 30-second elevator version of that? Because it's, it's that testimony of what God did in your life that can, that can change the eternal destination of someone. But it isn't about your power. It's about your weakness. Be a light in a dark world so that you can draw others to that light, which is Christ. Don't act powerless when you get beat up by the world because you need to acknowledge Christ's power in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10 says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. So again, before adding knowledge to your faith, practice doing what God's word instructs you to do and add virtue. Like it says in, in 2 Peter 1.5, be strong in grace means to remember and relay that same grace God has given to you uh, to overcome this world's problems and distresses to your unsaved friends. Because they got they got questions. They need answers in life, and you've got the answer. So be strong in grace. Number two is to be teachable. <clears throat> the second part uh, of, uh, or the first part of verse two in Second Timothy two two, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. You need to be prepared to lead someone to Christ at any time. In order to be ready to give an answer to anyone, you must be ready before they ask the question. And the, and the way to learn what to say is to, to know God's word. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So how are they going to know that you have hope in you? You're going to walk around with your head hung low and, Oh, woe is me. And, and I'm just, you know trying to make it through to Friday so I can play Xbox for 20 hours straight. That's what I'm saying. Really? Eeyore in the house. Look at him. He's right there. <laughs> Listen, as you hear what God wants you to do, you must have knowledge in order to, to give help to those in need. Where I work, one of our top-level managers, I'll tell you, this is a, this is a crazy thing. I, I wrote some of this prior to what happened to this guy. This is the guy. This is the guy that ended up taking his own life a couple weeks ago. He, he used to give advice to the team when he worked with us. He, he, he wasn't a believer. But he tried to give wise advice. Worldly advice. Same advice that, that the entire world has to offer. His advice usually ended up being some sort of Tony Robbins like Sunday with some Zig Ziglar sprinkles. 
And uh, sometimes even he, he would say, speak more positive things into the universe and it will return to you. Whole training sessions on this sometimes. Like, what are you doing? Now, this is nearly the best that the world has to offer, though, unless they repackage some biblical wisdom and sell it as, you know, five things to a blessed life. Because that's all that Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar is. It's just the book of Proverbs, like, with some catchy phrases and rearranged wording and, like, a price tag on it. You got, you got worldly advice. Boom, there it is. <clears throat> How about we just skip the middlemen and go straight to the source, right? Be teachable. Learn God's word and be ready to answer that God has the solutions that the world can't offer. And we know that's true, don't we? Do we believe that, that the Bible actually has the answers that the world is looking for? If you, if you do think that, say amen. Okay. We do believe that. But be teachable. This is the second point. Third point, be committed to teaching and training. Not only should we be teachable, but we should be committed to that teaching. Train up these newborn spiritual children in the way they should go. Look at the rest of verse 2 in 2 Timothy 2. So the things that thou hast heard of uh, uh, me of, thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And as your friends end up placing their faith in Christ, the real work begins here. I imagine that the majority of you have been through discipleship, as you guys showed. I mean, it was about 60% of you. But wouldn't you say that discipleship is harder and it takes longer to complete than the act of placing your trust in Christ did. You know, that time in that place when you got saved really only took a couple seconds, maybe a couple minutes. But discipleship takes a lot longer, and it's a lot more difficult, and there's a whole lot more work involved. Paul is saying here that once a babe in Christ is born, parenting is easy in order to bring the new child of God into spiritual maturity. Or, I'm sorry, it's not easy, it's necessary. I'm sorry, I just said it was hard. Parenting is necessary to bring this new child of God into spiritual maturity. When my first child was born, where is she? Mara, raise your hand really high. Oh, look, there she is. My kids love this part. They love it when I call them out. I actually love it. They hate it. Uh, but when my first child, Mara, was born, it was a hard birth. I mean, it was, man, it was rough. It was really hard, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was hard for Emily, too. But for me, man, it was, whoo. Fellas, anyone with me on that? These women having these kids, man, that's rough work for us. Well, as hard as that was, the growing and the weight gain and the body transformation that my body, no, actually, that, anyways, that Emily went through <laughs> to have a newborn baby, little did we know that the real work was just beginning. And if that 46-hour labor was any indication on how hard our life would be with Mara, we should have known from that moment she was going to be a terror. <laughs> I owed her a couple of these. But God gives us a picture of physical birth so that we can understand spiritual birth. And the spiritual maturity process and parenting process is also physically pictured to help us raise our spiritual children. So the work is just beginning. Be a beggar who shows another beggar where what? 
Where to find bread? That's some gym altruism. I got two of them in this weekend. All right. But yeah, be a beggar that shows another beggar where to find bread. Don't lord over your baby disciple, reminding them how foolish they are. Don't belittle your newly saved child friend by holding them to a standard of learning that you yourself gained over the past three decades. They're brand new to this. They need to be weaned into these things. Be a beggar, of which you are, by the way. Showing another beggar, of which they are, by the way. Where to find the answers in God's words, in God's word, which is, which is the bread. Where you found bread. It's in God's word. So commit to instructing godly, holy living to your disciple. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Because it's written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we need to commit to instructing them. How does that even... Is it even possible to be holy? Because God's holy. Wow. That's a charge, right? And commit to this instructing through discipleship. That's how it's set up. Acts 1.1 says, The former treaties I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both to do and teach. And so we should be committed to living a life with our disciple, not only by, by helping them to understand what God wants them to do, but to see, the mo- to see the modeling of it firsthand with an I do, you watch, then an I do and you do, and then an I watch and you do attitude. They need to see it. Be an example to them. Live life alongside them and showing them, not just telling them, but showing them how it's done. And so number four, you need to be entrenched. Verse three, we need to do life together as an example here. So it says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In this past December, um, actually the day after Christmas, Emily and I went to Kansas City. We went to the World War I Museum. And what a what amazing compiling of history is in that thing. I mean, I was like, they made a whole museum out of this? And wow, they can make like 10 museums out of that. There's a whole lot going on there, by the way. But I read one of these eight-foot panels, these huge panels that had this stuff on, these, this information, and you could spend weeks in this place. Um, but the, by, by 1917, by year 1917, there were 35,000 miles of trenches dug across the Western Front. 35,000 miles. Like, how is that possible? Like, they just dug the whole place up, and they're like, hey, this is 35,000. I don't know. There's a lot of trenches there. And I went and showed Emily the panel to her amazement. She, she was astounded, probably because I can't even seem to finish, to finish a simple home improvement project, let alone dig a hole that's 35,000 miles long. She's like, there's guys out there that do that? Wow. We should hire them. Look at this bathroom that's been going forever. This is a true story. Well, the bathroom going forever is a true story. But now imagine the type of soldier that it took to dig that amount of underground fortification. Seriously, think them up in your mind right now. What type of person would it take to do that? They definitely don't look like me. They were strong and learned. Learned in warfare. Committed to the task. And they were entrenched literally over their heads. While they, were, while they were doing this task. They were soldiers. And as I walked through that museum with my wife, my bride, I saw depiction after depiction of the entrenchment that these men went through for years. Years of it. 
Now, the church, we are called the bride of Christ. But we're also taking on the role that I think Paul understood in, in his letter to Timothy, the role as a soldier. So don't just be the bride of Christ. Sometimes we need to be a soldier with Christ. We need to link arms together and press forward into the lost world. Listen, life will be tough, and your disciple will need your help. He'll need your help. Make sure to be ready for a spiritual battle. Because, listen, Satan's already been ready for several millennia. All right? Like, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for a spiritual battle, and we need to put on our armor. We need to put the whole armor of God on and teach them to do the same. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, if you don't know it, that's where you find it. So get yourself entrenched with your fellow ambassador for Christ so that you can be an example for them to be different than the world. So number five, be sanctified. Verse uh, four, 2 Timothy 2, 4, be sanctified. Be a man or woman of God that others can follow as you follow Christ. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So Solomon figured out the whole duty of man. And it, was to, and, it, and it wasn't to blend into this world like a chameleon. <clears throat> it was two specific things that he noted for us to see in order to live a sanctified, set-apart life. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Right, remember, who, remember who he was. Solomon, he was, he was the wisest man that ever lived. And here he is, he tried to set aside God and live life and try to see if he could fulfill this great experiment of using everything under the sun, not, a, not, a, not the sun himself, to see if he, could, if he could fulfill his life. And he says, Here's it, here it is. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So what's your purpose in life? You know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now you got to go figure out what his commandments are here. But fearing God and keeping his commandments, God literally, God wants you to please him, period. That's what God wants. By fearing him and keeping his commandments, that's how you do it. Your disciple needs you to be sanctified in order to see what it actually looks like. And in order to be set apart for them, to be able to model your life, you must walk and you must walk purposefully in a way that you aren't walking in the flesh. Because Romans 8.8 8 says that if they are in the flesh, cannot please God. So be deliberately set apart from the world's affairs and, and be, be super deliberate about it. Even point it out to your disciple. This is why I'm not doing this. This is why I am doing this. They need to see your sanctification. And then number six, be deliberate. You're not just a fisherman, but you're a fisher of men. Verse five, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet it is not, he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. So have a plan to help these men mature. <clears throat> Stay focused on the end result of, full, of full-grown disciples of Christ. And be consistent for your disciple. Don't go rogue. You know, don't do whatever you want when you're discipling these men. I would even venture to say, don't do whatever you want when you're evangelizing. The local church, 
is the authority that sets up the structure for you guys in this body to actually go out and evangelize. I'm not saying like, well, I can't talk about Jesus unless I'm, you know, at the fair ministry. That's the only time I'm ever allowed to talk about Jesus. No. But the structure that this place has set up for you, it looks different than the structure that we have in Wildwood and the structure that's in somewhere in Florida and the structure that's going to be somewhere in Europe when I get there. It's different. Don't go rogue on it. Be part of it. Be plugged into it. Make sure you... Make sure you stay scriptural. Don't just, oh man, this sounds, you know, if I just make this into three really cool sayings, I think I can snag these college kids to come here. And like, don't do that. What you get them with is what you keep them with, by the way. And if you get them with, if you get them with lights and free stuff and, you know, spicy pizza, you're going to have spicy pizza, free stuff, and lights all the time. Or you've lost them. But if you get them with the Bible, you can keep them with the Bible, and that ain't going anywhere from here. So make sure to strive lawfully, not to stop the uh, the Great Commission after verse 19. But in verse 20 in Matthew, it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So don't stop before that. You then got to teach them to observe all these things. So be deliberate. Not just fishing for, for men, but fishing fishermen. So last point of the night, and then we'll go ahead and do a conclusion here. <clears throat> but uh, be laboring. Become addicted to the edification of the saints. Verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth must first be partakers of the fruit. A true husbandman is in the field, cultivating the field and nurturing the fruit. He's a workaholic of sorts. Be addicted to the work of the Lord, laboring together with one another in the field. And in Philippians 3.17, it says, Brother, be, be, Brethren, be fellow or followers together of me, and mark them which walk, which walk so ye have... Let me just start this over. Amber, I'm thinking of you the whole time I'm reading these verses. Where are you at? Oh, yeah. i got to take a deep breath. i got to get these things out. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do this one more time. Philippians 3.17. <sighs> brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for us an exam and sample. almost got it. Thank you. But help them to see not just what to do, but what not to do. By working so hard in the field, removing stumbling stones and weeds and watering your seedling with God's word, so that you can look back at the end and say, I finished well. Think of it this way. If you wrote your own obituary, would you be pleased with the outcome? It's a sobering exercise. One of our Wildwood leaders had challenged a group of us to do just that. And let me tell you, I was not happy with the pitiful results of my own memoirs. I want to finish well. And the way God tells us to do that is to be about the work of the Lord until the final day approaches and laboring in the field together. So be laboring. Seek your friends. Share your faith with them and bring them into fellowship so they can grow and do the same so that they can be fishers of fishermen also. And ultimately, we need to grow the body of Christ and we need to reproduce, right? So in conclusion, if we are truly all in this together, a phrase that I hate hearing anymore, should be stricken from the English language, but if we are in all, all, the, all in this together, then let's go ahead and band together. 
And let's press out into the world by starting to understand where our own mission field is. Where is our field? So remember that picture of Brett? You guys throw it back up there if you want. Remember that picture of Brett drawing out my future mission field? Literally, he's drawing out. I don't even know if he knows the whole makeup of what Europe looks like, but he's, he's got these X's on there. And uh, I, I, don't, I, I zoned out like after a while. He's drawing the whole world. But though I am no Brett Bartlett, and this is no Mexican restaurant like I was in there, in closing tonight, I want you guys to take uh, an old handout or a scrap piece of paper, uh, which we all know you guys have from this morning. You've saved that, right? You didn't throw that away, right? You, you got that in your Bible ready so you know what's going on. Just get that right out. Get your pen ready. Anyway, if you don't have one, you'll have to watch this again and write this down later. But I want you to get out a, a piece of paper, and I want you to envision with me a scenario if you will, a scenario where, where you decide that you are going to go out into all the earth. I want you to envision a scenario that where you decide that you are going to purposefully make friends. A scenario where you decide that you're going to pray with your fellow laborers for doors of utterance. One where you decide where, that you are going to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ by giving your testimony to the lost and seeking world. Envision this scenario where you decide that you're going to disciple new believers one-on-one and through Bible studies. And you're going to grow your church by bringing new believers into the fellowship. A scenario where you decide that you aren't going to see the lights of the church dwindle in these last days and fade out on your watch. Now, how are you going to grow the church, you might ask? Well, you're going to do that by discipling new believers. That get plugged in. Well, how, how am I, how am I going to get new believers to disciple? Though we're going to do that by winning souls. Well, win souls. Well, how am I going to do that? <laughs> we're going to do that by sharing your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to honest seekers. Where do I get these opportunities to share my faith? Well, you get those opportunities by praying for doors of utterance. With your, with your co-laborers in the field. And who do you gain doors of utterance with? You gain those with the friends that you have made in your life and in your circles. And how do I make friends, though? Well, you do that by getting up and going out into the world and not just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and going to bed and waking up and doing the same thing again. And this getting up and going out in the world might not mean for you that you need to go to Papua New Guinea. If I said that wrong, apologize. It was like Pow Pow New Guinea or something. Like the, uh, the Odysseys that are there. You don't have to go to Ireland like my friend Eric Brown and his family. Or wherever Brett's crazy mind at the Mexican joint when he had two spicy tacos uh, draws up for you on a napkin like he did for me. But going out into the world might look like going across the street to be a friend to your lost neighbor or walking over to the adjacent cubicle or office lunch table to eat with a coworker that you know needs Christ. So, take your piece of paper. 
And instead of drawing Europe or some foreign country that's across the pond, I want you to write the name of your street where your lost neighbors live. I want you to write the name of the company you work for where people are lost at your work. Or I want you to write your favorite hangout spot where potential friends need need salvation. Because you are the ambassador for Christ. You are the light in the dark world. You are a missionary evangelist who has been allowed and been put in trust of taking the gospel into your neighborhood and into your workplace and into your circles of influence. So if you didn't write down your street and your place of business and your hangout, just write this. Write down Sydney, Ohio. Because the last time I checked, Sydney, Ohio is in the world. And breaking news, you are already in that world. So keep this paper as a reminder, just as I have kept the photo of Brett drawing up my mission field, of where God would have you to go. And where he he would have you to spread his good news to a lost world and bring men and women into the fellowship of the believer. It's up to us, friends. The field is white unto harvest. You arise and you go, and you start taking serious the responsibility that Christ has left you here for on this earth. Whether it's across the pond or right here in Sydney, let's not be better off dead. Let's become all things to all men so that we might win some. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be put in trust. What a privilege it is to be able to take the gospel, the saving gospel, into the world. And uh, I I pray that we take it serious. Lord, go out in all the world and make disciples. Lord, how do we do that? Well, we do that by one little step. We count the step, and we go across the street. We get uncomfortable. We do the things that that we know we should be doing, and we we bring purpose back to our life because you didn't leave us here just to, to take up a seat to soak up a, a space at work. You, you, you left us here to actually do the work.